So, happy World Environment Day. And what did the world want for its special day? It wanted a John Richardson, the Future Not special. So, here it is, and here we are. Hello, Ed Gillespie. Hello. Hello, Mark Stevenson. Hello. And hello to all of you listening. This is a tasty little treat. Uh, we are currently planning our third series, which will be with you shortly. But to keep you going, because I'm sure your lives are falling apart without us, we thought we'd give you a little uh, a little update and a, a little chat about World Environment Day. And we should start after such a gap. The question I want to ask of both of you, it's the one that I think is on all our minds. Where are you and what are you wearing? <laughs> I want to be able to visualise you. I want to know about facial hair. We haven't seen each other for a long time. People could be in mohawks wearing goat skin. We don't know. <laughs> well, I have kept my lockdown hair for rock and roll purposes because, I, you know, I finally finished writing the second Quantum Pig album and we're going to do some gigs. So I thought I'll keep the long hair. Thank um, God. I'm sat at home in the studio. I'm wearing shorts because I've been working out and it's very hot. Is that sexy enough for you? That is quite sexy. Had you not opened with the prog rock stuff, then the, I've been working out and it's very hot. Probably would have got some people going, but, you know, dampened by the news that Quantum <laughs> Pig are about to assault your ears again. And is it true that a Quantum Pig album takes twice as long to record as it does to write? <laughs> it takes twice as long to listen to. <laughs> Ed, what can you see? Where are you? What are you wearing? Uh, so I'm I'm also sat in shorts, uh, though I haven't been doing a workout. Uh, although you know, parenting can feel like that. Uh, I'm I've decamped to the boondocks. Uh, I am now merrily ensconced in my old watermill um, in South Norfolk, uh, and I'm looking out over the river, and there is a heron fishing on the weir. Uh, so it's suitably bucolic. Um, I haven't gone into sort of backwards survivalist mode. Uh, I, I'm just merrily reconnecting with nature. You're the person I'm reading about in all the articles. You've got out of London. You've bought up property in the in the regions. How how much do you miss the the sirens of Brixton? Not at all. <laughs> uh, now I remember my mum saying, you know, she goes, "Oh, it's a very busy road. You've bought your 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 mill on." And I said, "Mum, I've just spent twenty <laughs> years living on the main arterial route between London and Brighton." And she yeah. goes, there's a lot of buses go past, though. I said, I used to have about 70 buses an hour go past my window on Can't Bristol bloody Hill. move for herons down there. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, no, it's, I mean, the nature is astonishing here. Uh, you know, I've seen kingfishers, um, which I've never seen before in my life. Uh, we got a pair of swans that come down to be fed most evenings off the back deck. There was a little clutch of ducklings that were hatched the day before yesterday, little 13 ducklings, two of which are bright yellow which is a bit disconcerting because they feel like sort of fox fodder. It's like the kind of genetic quirk of the mallard, which goes, well, I've got 13 ducklings, two are going to be bright yellow, uh, and they're going to be the ones that act as decoys for the rest of the ducklings. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then you know, the icing on the cake was we were having a, a beer on the back deck last night, and I saw a, a movement under the other side of the deck, on the other side of the river, two otters, two otters, <sighs> just oh. sliding into the water to go fishing. And it was just like, it was just magical. I feel like I'm living in a, a kind of a, a highly regional version of an Attenborough nature program. <laughs> wow. It, it's delightful to be with you again. I've, I've been with our daughter most of most of the time, which has been an absolute treat. I'll be honest, she is more savage than either of you could muster. I could have sent you writers for the last month <laughs> to hit me with your deepest cutting zingers. Hang on, Nothing we've, we've will sting. Hard, we've hardly started the show. Come on, we were just warming up. Don't don't <laughs> don't count us out here. We've let got me tell be... you. Let me tell you what Elsie has done since last we met. One day she she asked if she could get on my back. She then started licking my bald spot to see if it would help the hair grow back. <laughs> Last week when I was getting dressed, she asked if I was growing a baby in my belly, um, <laughs> which was not nice. And only this evening, whilst putting it to bed before we started recording, whilst reading Fantastic Mr. Fox, she told me that she could smell excrement uh, while I was putting it to bed. And I asked her if she needed the toilet, and she said, no, I think it's just your breath. What did you have for lunch? <laughs> so I tell you what, lads, say what you want. I'm a broken man. <laughs> <laughs> That's love. That's real love there. So we're here to celebrate World Environment Day. Mm. 
So let's uh, let's start by uh, let's start by hearing some of your emails, which have kept coming in. It's it's been a treat. They're coming in even now over the last few days. We haven't recorded for a few months. People continue to find the podcast. Some of them devour it and send their thoughts all in one go. We have regulars who are getting back in touch. So thank you for all your messages. We continue to uh, read and enjoy them. What's what's grabbed you, gents? Uh, well, there's been a few interesting ones. Obviously, there's lots of people writing in to say they've read my book and not Ed's, which is always good. <laughs> uh, uh, well, first of all, there's a lot of impatience from people about uh, wanting to, us to do another series. It's almost mm. like it was quite passive-aggressive. Are you doing another series? I need, I need another series. Where's another series? There's a guy called Greg on Twitter who basically says, look, enough now. It's been another day. <laughs> <Where's> <laughs> another- <laughs> what can you possibly be doing? I don't know. I don't know what he wants from us. Uh, but- he got so desperate, he listened to my other podcast because he just, oh you know, he, he missed my voice so much. Jeez. Well, talking about your voice, talking about your voice, <laughs> Carolina... So she sent us a very lovely email saying maybe you want to talk about the differences of how different cultures think about the future because she originally grew up, as, as she said, in communist Czechoslovakia. Now she's moved to New Zealand and she sees different ways those cultures kind of perceive the future. But right at the end she said, is Ed sexy how he sounds? The answer is yes. No, the answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you get to make that call, do you? I don't know. I mean, I've met you. I've spent time with you. <laughs> anyway... So lots of people with lots of episode ideas, which we'll take into account on series three. Um, some ones that sort of challenged us a bit, I think, like the like Ned, who wrote to us and said, "Oh, we really loved your podcast, and we're we're running our vineyard now in uh, you know in very eco friendly ways." Oh, by the way, I used to uh, work in research for tobacco companies and marketing, uh, you know, helping people assess the risks and how we could market smoking to people. Um, anyway, really enjoyed the podcast. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> not, sure, not sure how I feel about that, really. You know, because he basically spent his corporate life basically convincing people to smoke, and now saying, "Well, it's all right because I'm running a biodynamic vineyard." I don't know. Does, does, do we feel that's a good conversion? It's better than converting the other way. It's yes. better than saying, "Love the podcast," particularly of interest to me because I used to be one of your lot, and now I, I, yeah. I got a big fat check from uh, one of the tobacco <laughs> companies. And to be honest, it was too much to resist. Yeah. I used to run a biodynamic vineyard and now I'm taking the cancer dollar. <laughs> <laughs> um, but lots of people asked for two things in particular. One was a reading list. Um, so that just, I think just shows the caliber of our listenership. They're saying, can you recommend some other books we should read? Because, you know. Nerds. I recommend some good poetry books. No, no, not your poetry books. They want proper books full of stuff that is important and useful, not a rhyming dictionary with a few <laughs> themes thrown at it. Now, <laughs> one I particularly enjoyed on that score was from Ruth, who said, and 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 we've talked since since I met you, and you both, you know, you both told me pragmatic, realistic view is things will change quickly when when where the money goes changes yeah. and we we feel like we're at that tipping point now and i go back to what john jordan said about green capitalism and that is the thought that has stayed with me since the second series what is really about driving change in the right direction and i'll level with you my my work inbox at the moment i'm not a big big fish so i'm not getting the big ones but i'm getting a lot of advert offers so don't take them but they've shifted and almost entirely now they're from companies saying we thought john would be a great fit because this is all about our new green initiative and it's mostly booze companies saying oh we've partnered with save the dolphins so every third wednesday we don't kill a dolphin and (laughs) to me it smells like bullshit it smells like well Perhaps now we can open up to a new client base and get a new raft of people to endorse our products who wouldn't have previously if we say and do these certain things. And I'm having a lot of you know conversations with myself about, should I do that? Because that's a company trying to do the right thing. That's a guy getting out of the tobacco industry to set up a vineyard. Or are they taking the piss? Well, I think it depends on the company. You have to go and really know your stuff. So some are going definitely in the right direction. Uh, and some are absolutely thinking, oh, consumers want us to go in the right direction. How can we convince them we're going in the right direction without actually having to go to all the fag of becoming moral human beings? Yes. Yeah. Well, Ruth's question was, give me a reading list. But, uh, you know, when you go in a bookshop now, there there are now 100 books about get plastic out of your life, live a more eco lifestyle. How many of them are genuine and how many are just someone thinking this will shift some units? 
Well, I think I think they're all, I think they're all well intentioned. That po- that point that's haunting you, John. I think that's really relevant. I mean, I saw a tweet from Jason Hickel the other day, who's a sort of economic anthropologist. He said, "What's extraordinary about capitalism is that it produces ecological breakdown." And then tries to sell itself as the only reasonable solution to ecological breakdown. Uh, and I think that's what you're kind of seeing now is like people having to sort of backtrack and reinvent and reposition themselves to try and appear credible in a world that's changing faster and more radically around them than they might feel comfortable with. And that inevitably means there's going to be a lot of posturing going on. And it is difficult, isn't it? Because you see like Amazon have done one, there's oil companies. It's almost an identical advert. It's let's not talk about the company. And we talked a long time ago about how you don't see logos on factories anymore on trucks because no one wants to look like they have a big impact. So it's a lot more secretive than it used to be. But you see these adverts and it's let's pick one employee and let's follow their story while yeah. they talk about how they're driven to change our company for the better. And I, I really, still, my instinct is, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I think, it, again, it depends on the companies. And in fact, while we've been uh, off air, oh, never said that before. While we've been off air, uh, the Netherlands, actually Friends of the Earth, and, uh, and I think 14,000 Dutch citizens took Shell to court because Shell had got this kind of net zero strategy. Um, and they just took it apart and said, it's not good enough. It's no good. You're going to have to do better. And now they're legally required in the Netherlands to do better on climate and reduce their emissions uh, quicker and faster. And that's just the beginning of a whole wave of this stuff that's going to come out. So so I think what's happening is a lot of businesses are realizing that pretty soon there's going to be all these legal precedents that are going to force them to do it. So they're trying to position themselves, say, oh, no, we're, we're nice people. Don't take us to court too soon. Um, it's like we well, should have fucking started on it twenty years ago, mate. So um, you know, catch up as quick as you like, but you know we're not we're not letting off the pressure now, and that's going to be that's going to be the story of the next five or ten years. When I, I mean, if you think about it, the the UK has a legally binding net zero target by two thousand and fifty. The courts have already said that they will take the government to court if if they don't meet that. So, for instance, the the, the Heathrow expansion was basically kiboshed by the by the Supreme Court. You know, and I say to my clients, how much longer do you think it's going to be before governments of any colour, left or right, are going, to, are going to start passing legislation to make you clean up your own emissions? So you might as well get ahead of it now. So there's definitely a, a shift in that way. There's a big stick. But I think there is a lot of marketing people going, oh, yeah. In fact, this reminds me of the time we met because we met at an event. And then uh, we proceeded to sit down with a man from Barclays over dinner who told us about their wonderful plan for, you know, helping kids from disadvantaged backgrounds get a job at Barclays and what a wonderful wonderful thing this was. One, that's questionable whether that's a good thing to do with your life anyway. And then we proceeded to say, yeah, but what about the three billion funding of, uh, of fossil fuels? And he went, yeah, but that's not my, that's not my problem. So what, you're a fucking sticking plaster for the massive, you know, turds at the top of the business and you don't realize it don't come here and tell us your company's doing good when it helps a few poor kids get into jobs that they're probably helping fund the system that's fucking the planet you stupid and after that we got we got on very well didn't we that's kind of how we bonded yeah well no brian i think that that's the bigger point here i mean i i read a piece by the the writer bio komalafi the other week and he 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 makes a great point he uses the metaphor of the slave ship um and he said basically you know when the last slave ship was decommissioned it didn't end up being decommissioned it basically docked with the land and then our mainstream organizations became the slave ship uh and we still have the same hierarchies inequalities exploitation going on within our corporate structures right now and the solution to that is not to bring people up from the lower deck onto the upper deck is to change the system uh and you know those points that mark's making there's another one from the from the german government have also just brought their net zero target forward another five years. So they're saying by 2045. Now, that is just, as Mark said, there's going to be a wave upon wave of these other incremental changes, which are going to completely rewrite the landscape around organisations, whether they like it or not. And so for Germany, those energy businesses, which were quite happily thinking, oh, yeah, we'll phase out coal by the late 2030s. Uh, you know, they're suddenly looking at, you know, that deadline being brought back forward another five years and going, actually, it looks like coal will go by the end of this decade. You know, so suddenly they've got to rewrite all their plans. And so I think we're just going to see more and more of that turbulence and bumpiness 
coming through. And so no amount of uh, slightly shallow, greenwashy type of uh, posturing is going to help because uh, the writing is already on the wall. So I don't know whether that helps you take take the ads or not, John. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to do them anyway. I just think it's a sign of where it's good because, you know, there's a trickle down. I'm sure these things didn't come to me first. And I know that because very often they haven't cut and pasted Greg Davis's name out um, or whoever it is. If I scroll down far enough, it begins with, we would love... And then in a different font and colour, John, to be the spearhead of this campaign. <laughs> and then if I read to the bottom, it's Greg or Rod or whoever it is they wanted first. But yeah. it's a sign that, you know, I, I'm not doing it. Someone's going to do it. And that's what the advert's going to be. So I get a little sniff of, oh, I'm going to see that advert on telly in two months, whoever it is on it. And that's, you know, that's what that brand is going to, you know, claim to be doing. Mm. Is it valid or not? Speaking of the <laughs> turds at the top, um, we had a lot of emails about, could we do a child-friendly version? And, I mean, what do you think, guys? Is it a question of us curbing our language or should children that are going to grow up in this planet get to know what a turd is and what it looks like? Because, you know, the five- and six-year-olds of today are going to have to tackle these these people in the boardroom in, in, in 20 or 30 years. So, it, well, I don't do know whether five- or six-year-olds are our target audience, but certainly has anyone heard the way teenagers speak? I mean, like, you know, it's not like they're go- we're going to be using vocabulary that they're not. Yeah, uh, but I, I, I've had quite a few teachers say, "Look, I'd love to recommend your podcast to my students, but I can't mm. because of the swearing." And strangely, I did a I did a talk at a school um, last week, a bunch of sixth formers, and the teacher got me in, and he said, "You know, I, I I'm a big fan of this podcast," and uh, he said, "I'm not going to, you know, put your foot around. I'm going to speak like they speak on the podcast. Basically, they'll Mark will tell you how fucked the world is, how it got that fucked, and how we can unfuck it." And there was a sort of a little giggle going around. And I thought, oh, God, okay. I said, well, that's, that's set the bar there, you know. It means that I can probably say the word fuck. But don't worry, I definitely won't say in front of you. And that, got, <laughs> and that got a huge laugh and a lot of sort of, you know, sharp intakes of breath from the teachers. But I kind of do, you know, I do think maybe we should curb it a bit. Because if it's restricting our... <laughs> You can say that now you've had your quota. I was going to say, that's a pot calling the kettle black. <laughs> that is the swearing version of Shell saying, I think it's time we should probably put solar panels, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> I have a survey here, or I have a, a kind of petition here from 17,000 Future Noughts listeners who are demanding <laughs> that Mark cuts his rate of C words by at least 45% by 2030. Well, I can probably do that. Let's make a pledge for Series 3 to, to make it family-friendly, shall we? <laughs> can we try can we try we'll commit to trying well should we have some kind of penalty for anybody who says a bad word also that makes me think because this is the special in between the two series we better fucking get the swearing out on this one like, yes if you're gonna be if you're... fuck free by 2030 <laughs> and we'll see if we can we'll maybe hit a target by sort of 2028 so we're here to celebrate world environment day what what do you as as, as people in the biz what do you think of World Environment Day? Well, it makes me think of what my mum used to say, you know, in regard to Mother's Day, when we asked why there wasn't a Children's Day, and she'd say, every day is Children's Day. And then surely every bloody day, sorry, there I go again, uh, is Environment Day. So, yeah, I mean, I, I love it. Um, it is obviously the UN's principal day for encouraging awareness and action about the environment. So, obviously, it's a topic close to all of our hearts, Uh but yeah, it's an it's an important milestone as much as any of these kind of, you know, one-off days or, you know, Cancer Awareness Week. Now, there's always some kind of awareness day or week going on, isn't there? So this is obviously one which is very important but might be slightly lost in the in the crowd. Yeah, but I think uh, you went and had a look, didn't you, at all the various themes uh, of, yeah. of environment. And I think it does, definitely shows us how the debate about the environment has shifted from like, you know, how it started out, which is like, oh, look a dolphin to yeah. like you know in in sort of you know the 90s like we're all gonna fucking die uh, yeah. pay attention now it's like oh we've all got to regenerate and love the future so i mean you came you saw quite a few quite funny themes coming yeah out, didn't it's you? great it's no it's great when you dig into it because it actually started back in 1972 so actually that's, that's the year i was born and um, there's no connection um we have the the swedes to thank for the instigation um of this like we do for so many things um, and the theme of that first one, which was actually then held two years later in 74, was only one Earth. So people will obviously connect that to uh, my not so best selling first book, Only Planet. Um, mm. But every year, as Mark said, has had a particular focus. And you see the emphasis over the last half century. Is there's loads of topics which will be very familiar 
um, to our regular audience. So in the 70s, so what you're saying is Ed, that every year they've done things differently. Yeah, in a, ref- in a reference to my book, we do things differently. Exactly. Which came out a few years ago. <laughs> yeah. So in the seventies, there was a lot of stuff about development without destruction. I mean, obviously that's worked out well then over the last forty or fifty years. <laughs> um, you know, the ozone layer pops up. Uh, in the 80s and there's acid rain and then global warming finally finally gets a look in um, in 1989 so it's a bit like some slightly fucked up top 40 of eco nightmares Um, and up until 1987 most were held in Bangladesh but then World Environment Day went on tour uh, and the host nation has basically rotated like an annual environmental Olympics or G20 summit um, around the world and the tone has just got ever more direct and shriller as the years have gone on, which again is perhaps not surprising. So uh, back in 1986, Canada hosted A Tree for Peace, uh, which is lovely, bless them. It's very Canadian, isn't it? It's very Canadian, A Tree for Peace. We've got Canadians going, we've got fuckloads of trees. Let's see if we can get a tree into the title. Uh, In 1992, uh, Brazil hosted Only One Earth, Care and Share. Um, and then actually, it sounds like some of the advertising uh, things you're getting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were basically writing strap lines to be used in the in the early 2020s. Um, then the UK we hosted in back in 1994 with surprisingly fluffy uh, One Earth One Family uh, a bit under the John Major government. So that's interesting. I think. Well, I think no. I think that was probably wasn't that a push for the monarchy? So like One Earth One Family, and it's ours. <laughs> <laughs> And then by the early noughties, there's really no punches being pulled at all. Uh, Lebanon hosted in 2003 with water. Two billion people are dying for it, Um, which was then followed up by Spain in 2004 with wanted seas and oceans, dead or alive. Uh, And then it really starts to get personal. So Mexico, 2009, your planet needs you. Unite to combat climate change. Um, And then Brazil in 2012, which is the green economy, does it include you? Uh, not, if you're, not if you're a Brazilian, doesn't it? With the, uh, with the, well, not, well, what about the rainforest? Oh, we were sorry. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Yes, yes, it really does include you. Um, and then Mongolia in 2013 with the theme, think, eat and save, reduce your footprint, which is, which is interesting because given my experience of Mongolia, uh, which was basically eating a lot of meat and dairy, um, they're not really an agricultural farming nation uh, they tend to eat what they can get from their animals so it's no country for old vegan men john i don't know if you're planning any mongolian for what animals. vegan men mate no, for, for old no vegan, for what mate for, <laughs> for old vegan men <laughs> <clears throat> and then in 2017 we're back in canada uh, and the theme was i'm with nature which just makes me think of the t-shirt with an arrow on it pointing to one side which says i'm with stupid uh, again we could blame canada for that one and then by the late 20 teens the whole show has just degenerated into a series of beatings. So it's beat plastic pollution, beat air pollution, uh, beat yourself up about this ineffectual shit show of globalised hand-wringing. Um, and I might have made the last one up, but, you know, you get the picture. It's a bit unfair, but there has been some fantastic uh, highlights and achievements over the mm. years. Yep. So in 2007, Egypt issued a World Environment Day postage stamp. Um, yeah. These are actually off the, the website. So uh, Let's not forget highlights. that in- in 2009, the Michael Jackson song, um, Earth Song, was declared the World Environment Day song. So that was very helpful and, in retrospect, looks really forward-thinking. Yeah. And then in 2014, actor Ian Sommerhalder, no, me neither, I have, you know, uh, made it, was made an official World Environment Day goodwill ambassador. And you may know him from such famous roles as Boone Carlyle in Lost, um, which maybe makes a suggestion that we are. A little bit lost. Wasn't lost a series that broadly everyone liked, but then it ended really badly. (laughs) (laughs) Bad omen for the planet. I think, yeah, there's a bit of a a bit of a metaphor there. So it's not to be confused with Earth Day, which people might get conflated with World Environment Day. That's actually in April. And yeah, this year's this year's World Environment Day is in Pakistan. So uh, are are you listening, Uma, out there? I hope so. Um, Are one of our keen Pakistani listeners, and the theme is generation restoration so they're basically challenging us all to reimagine recreate and restore and if i put on my special voiceover voice uh, this is the spiel which again sounds like one of the advert uh, lead-ins we've been talking about john this is our moment we cannot turn back time but we can grow trees 
green our cities, rewild our gardens, change our diets and clean up our rivers and coasts. We are the generation that can make peace with nature. So let's get active, not anxious. Let's be bold, not timid and join Generation Restoration. And in some ways, I don't think we could have put it better ourselves. Even still, makes you want to shoot yourself in the head, doesn't it? Because they've been doing it for fucking ever and we've still got nowhere and the planet is absolutely fucked. (laughs) I think I'm going to have to be the optimist on this episode. (laughs) In terms of where we're at globally, in terms of having these conversations, I I agree there's something depressing about going back 50 years and realising nobody's really been listening. Globally, though, it feels like at the moment we really are if not acting fast enough, at least having these conversations on a scale that we weren't five, ten, certainly fifty years ago. Yeah, yeah and actually, the, and there's some good legislation coming through as well. I mean, like since we last met, we've had the Das Gupta review, which was on you know the economics of biodiversity and the economic impacts of biodiversity loss in particular. Um, and there's some quite staggering stuff in that. And I think the best way of thinking about it is. If anyone's watched the movie The Big Short, you know, which is all about the global financial crash, and in particular, you know, the collateralized debt obligations and credit default swaps that all of those, you know, financial institutions were trading um, around mortgages that people couldn't pay back and they never worried about whether they'd be able to pay them back. And then suddenly the music stopped and the whole thing crashed. I mean, essentially, what we're running up against at the moment is like an ecological big short, but there's not the ecological capital underpinning everything we're doing and if the music stops then things are going to get really rough and very ropey indeed and so we've we've got this is why we've got to talk about restoration and regeneration and regenerative businesses and regenerative cultures because it ain't going to be enough to sustain the status quo you know we've got to enhance it and we've got to repair it uh, and we've got to make it better again and so yeah i think think about it as the big short of ecology is what we're engaged in at the moment Hmm. I mean, it's interesting to me that um, here in the UK at the moment, we have a what we probably would characterise as a fairly right-wing uh, populist government. And actually, in terms of ambition, they've made, you know, and you can argue about whether that will be lived or not, but in terms of ambition on things like biodiversity and climate change, they've made some pretty bold statements. And so that, to me, tells me that we've kind of won the argument to a certain extent when you know even boris johnson is say for instance standing up the un security council and saying you know national security is indelibly tied to climate change we're going to go net zero by 2050 we're going to mm. try and get a similar set of measures for biodiversity so that we can battle that as well and and you know starting to make that uh, and i'm serious i've seen some of the machinations inside government departments where they're thinking well how do we make this work so you know that that's quite good you know it's sort of like oh you don't have to argue anymore um, the money is finally woken up because it's realised if it doesn't start to account for the 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 environment properly, then there is no economy to have. So it's just all a bit bit too late. But it's quite it's quite nice in one way, and it's also depressing because you know there was something really nice about you know Ed and me and the people we hang out with being right, um, but l- alone because we could be very virtuous and uh, congratulate ourselves. And now everybody kind of agrees with us, and it's really boring. <laughs> Yeah, but you do, you do still need some top line sort of stats on that, don't you? Because I must admit, I, I sort of lockdown was a bit of a wobble for everyone, and a bit of you know let's um, let's just live hand to mouth and you know get through each day. And then coming out of that, we've done a bit more of you know getting back to going to the zero waste supermarket and slapping ourselves on the back a bit and thinking, oh, actually, you know, bloody hell. And we've had a few emails from people, oh, actually, I, you know, I think I'm doing all right. I, I do this and I do that. But this is the podcast that, if anything, says here is the state of play at the moment. Give us some, you know, to, to go back to the sort of normal structure of the podcast. It's World Environment Day. Environmentally, are we fucked at the moment? Let's have a wake-up call for all those like me who haven't had the joy of your company over the last few months and have settled back into a bit of thinking, well, do you know, I buy I buy organic wine and, you know, <laughs> I pour my brown rice from a paper bag, so it's probably not my fault. Slap me around the chops. Tell me tell me where we're at at the moment. Well, uh, first of all, before we do that, I think we have to say that it isn't your fault, John, or indeed anybody else's fault, and I think blame is a very mm. bad place to start because it's... You debil- would say that. It is debilitating. So I think, you know... 
it's you know, I had this argument the other day um, on the on the uh, Joe Rogan podcast, and he was saying, "Well, why should I recycle when you know when other people don't?" It's like, well, because you can. Are you listening to the Joe Rogan podcast? No, I was on it. Were you? Yeah. No, you don't Fucking mean Joe, Joe Marler. Don't you mean Joe Marler? Oh, sorry, Joe Marler. Joe I got Rogan. The wrong one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think you've got concussion from too many head knocks. There's a fucking right. bombshell. You snuck that in. Oh, um, did I not mention I went on the biggest podcast in the world last week and had an argument about recycling? No, he locked. He was locking heads with a prop forward who has a. I, uh, <laughs> I meant I meant the England prop forward Joe Joe Marler, not Joe. It's Rick, still a big really. deal. Is it? But, you know, yeah. not you know. Anyway, um, we fuck that link up, haven't we? <laughs> <laughs> On the contrary, I enjoyed it very much. <laughs> Just for the brief 15 seconds in which I pictured you down the line to Joe Rogan <laughs> while he's trying to talk to you about CBD oil and conspiracy theories and you're talking about the oceans. Yeah. Um, I tell you what, it would do Joe Rogan good to have you on his podcast. So if you're listening, Joe, which I don't imagine he is. But um, I'm very happy to go on his show and confuse him with Joe Marler. (laughs) (laughs) So what was it like playing rugby for England? (laughs) Back to the point I was trying to make, which is, which is, I think a lot of people get debilitated by it all because there are these systemic things that need to change. So we were talking about recycling. He was saying, why should I recycle? I said, well, because you can, and why wouldn't you? But also it is absolutely true that we shouldn't be receiving so much bloody packaging in the first place, which is a systemic issue. So you have mm-hmm. to, you know, but, you know, as I always come back to my, 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 my favorite quote from Gandhi, what you do would be insignificant. It's really important you do it because everything you do as an individual is, is an act of leadership because it, it tells people around you what kind of person you are and either gives them permission to do something similar or react to that or whatever. So the more of us that kind of send out those signals, the better it is. Mm. But there are actually these huge systemic problems, you know, as in terms of how fucked are we? It's something like every three seconds, the world loses enough forest to cover a football pitch. Good news for football though. (laughs) You know, fans of football, the Euros coming up, you know, more pitches means, you know, more grassroots players coming through. I said something similar when I was on um, Robert De Niro's podcast the other week. <laughs> sorry, sorry, did I say Robert? De- I, I meant Rob Hopkins. I mean, we've we've lost fifty percent of our coral reefs. We'll probably lose ninety percent by two thousand and fifty if we carry on where we're going. Ecosystem degradation is already affecting about three point two billion people, which is about four percent of the world's population. We lose ten million hectares of forest every year. Uh, soil erosion. Um, is costing the world about six trillion a year in lost food production. Thirty percent of our natural freshwater systems have disappeared since 1970. One third of global fish stocks are overexploited, uh, which is up 10 percent from 1974. Um, the most recent series is Doctor Who have not been really very good, and uh, <laughs> Joe Rogan has not invited me onto his podcast. I mean, it's all absolutely a disaster. Why? So, wh- why are we in the state we're in? Well, I mean, the elephant in the room is, is as it always is, is the way we run the economy, you know, and it's a black elephant that everyone knows is there, but no one wants to talk about. And that's obviously exacerbated, as we've touched on in other episodes, by some elements of population growth and, and where people are at and the fact that people are often left with very little choice, but to overexploit resources locally. Um, and then you have the mobilization of capital, which leads to exploitation of, of resources which don't seem to be owned or controlled or regulated by anyone, which is genuinely what happens on the high seas. Uh, and I guess also in between our last show and this one, you know, there's been the whole fury around sea spiracy um, and the impacts of industrial fishing on the open oceans. And so a lot of it is still driven by, you know, economic pressures and exploitation and, you know, commercial return. And and that's the sort of the, the very difficult truth, because that's a choice. You know, that is not always a need. Um, that is very much something that we decide we are going to do and could equally decide we're going to do very differently. Yeah. And it's also kind of a really neat excuse because there is, you know, um, an argument that says actually businesses are legally required to maximize their profits for their shareholders. That's their first duty and it's a legal requirement. So therefore they can kind of go, well, you know, I'd really like to do something about this, but it's going to cost me a few percent. So actually I'm kind of breaking the law and I don't want to do that. So you're going to have to change the law, aren't you? And actually there are moves afoot to do that. And there are other structures for building businesses now, uh, which free people from that, uh, that easy get out clause. Um, so, you know, we have these very, very perverse incentives in the world, which are all about you succeed at the expense of everybody else. Mm. And then once you've done that, you're regarded as a success. How do you factor that in now in, in the specific time we're in? Because 
you know, anyone who heard the Kate Raworth uh, episode was left in no doubt that this idea of constant economic growth and expansion is absolutely toxic and impossible. Now, however, we've come out of a year of an absolute collapse because of lockdown. There will inevitably be that talk mm. of, oh, the economy shot up 6% last month, which is fantastic. Nobody's now going to say, well, let's let's hold the growth back a bit. Obviously, we need to get back to a certain threshold. But how do you start having those conversations after the year we've had about let's challenge now that idea that, you know, getting back to the world as it was and then going beyond that in terms of growth mm. is not going to be possible? Well, I think in some ways that comes back to the th- what I was saying about the ecological big short. You know, it's, it's a kind of very temporal short-term boost, you know, which is actually undermining all the medium to long-term stability and security. So, you know, if, if you, for example, you were investing in those collateralized debt obligations and credit default swaps in the, in the early noughties, uh, you'd have thought they were great because they were making a return and the economy was growing and everything was hunky-dory. Um, unfortunately, they were incredibly fragile um, and ultimately, you know, valueless. They were junk bonds. And so there is a concern that, you know, that, that boost to economic growth is actually just driving us closer towards that radical devaluation and you know and i think if you start to look at the data on that it's quite compelling so you know around 10 trillion dollars in global gdp could be lost um over the next 25 years or so if our ecosystem services continue to decline so you know there are enormous economic costs as kate ray pointed out that are being built up and being and the debt being pushed elsewhere at the moment, you know, you once you get that kind of level of land degradation and soil degradation, you get huge reductions in, in global food productivity, which can cause food prices to soar. So it makes the cost the cost of living could go up dramatically. And we've seen those type of bumps uh, in the last 10 years already. And we've had extreme weather events around the world, which have pushed up the cost of basic bread basket foods. Uh, you know, and indeed, if we go back far enough, you can see that the seeds of the Syrian civil war, which is still going on, um, you know, were actually seeded by climate change impacts and drought conditions, which which caused a famine, which drove people off the land and into the cities and created ethnic tensions. You know, mm. and, and that that migration of people is going to be absolutely fundamental caused by that land degradation up to 700 million people again by the middle of the century could be on the move um, as a result of those impacts and that has massive implications for sort of national security as well yeah so one exactly. thing the work, the work i've been doing with um, with the mod they're basically saying if we don't solve this problem we're going to have a huge upswing in terrorism and and violence and conflict around the world um, and that's going to cost money and it's not going to be good for the economy it's not going to be good for anybody so i think people have now got this i think the problem is we've got a very short time in which to fix it. However, um, we still do have enough time to fix quite a lot of it. And I, I quite like Leonard Bernstein, who said, um, to achieve great things, two things are needed, a plan and not quite enough time. And I think we may now have something of a plan in the UN uh, UN's Sustainable Development Goals and a few other things that are going on. And we certainly don't have enough time. And maybe that is, you know, maybe it had to come to this moment for us to, to, to wake up. So, um, so, yeah, we are fucked because we think about things too late and we might be saved because we're having to think about things right down to the wire. So we've certainly, you know, tick off the not quite enough time. That's done. In terms of the plan, what is what is the UN plan? You know, if this is a if the UN driven World Environment Day, what is the plan to solve these problems? Well, I mean, I think we talked about them before. There's the the 17 sustainable development goals, which are basically targets and um, aspirations and directions of travel on 17 separate issues to do with climate and governance and equality. Um, That basically, they say, we've got to get these right. We've got to reach these targets if we're to have any sort of chance of passing on a decent future to to our children. Um, and they're really good. They focus them on. They're not perfect. There are some wrinkles in them, but they're a pretty good roadmap of where we need to get to. And what's good about them is that every nation has to report on those back to the UN on how they're advancing on those. And along with the climate change stuff I talked about in terms of you know increasing legislation, every government in the world pretty much is going to be passing legislation to advance 
the progress on those goals to one degree or another. So, you know, if you say that to an investor or indeed to a school child and say, well, look, if that's going to be happening for the next 20 or 30 years, where would you put your money? Where would you put your career? What would you do with your life? What career advice would you give your children? Because this is the only game in town now for the next 30 years. Mm. Um, so that's the, the the roadmap out. And what I say to a lot of my clients is you can't cherry pick your, your goals. Some of them say, well, we're really good with water because we're a water company. So yeah, but there's another 16 are you not damaging any of those whilst also improving the water situation? Because if you're not, not not doing that, then you're useless. So that conversation is happening, I think, and it is encouraging. I think it's it's really easy to get down about these things. But I, I have to say this year, because of COVID, because people have realised that COVID is not just a random thing, it is a symptom of our mm. broken relationship with our planet. And they've realised that in their hearts and souls. And CEOs have realised it and politicians have realised it and military officers have realised it. And therefore, that we are at this moment where things can change. It won't last forever. And the, the status quo will want us to go back to how we were. But, you know, I think we're going to win it. I think we're going to win it. I think we're going to win it because you're going to do an advert, John. That's going yes. to, for a particular product. I don't know what it is yet. That's going to change everything. The testicuzzi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's actually about restoration. I mean, following on from what Mark's saying, you know, I think the whole point here and building on the point that it's a choice and we might have a plan and the squeeze of the time is, it, it, you know, that natural solutions are a bit of a win-win because not only do you make the world a nicer, richer, more diverse and resilient place to be, but... Actually, we could use natural solutions in terms of green land-based um, carbon sequestration and aquatic ocean and river system-based and wetland-based um, carbon sequestration to actually take about a third uh, of the mitigation uh, of carbon emissions that we need to do uh, by 2030. So, you know, actually, we can roll out some of these things very quickly. They're actually quite easy and straightforward to do. And I think when you start to look at it like that, and then you put that back through the economic lens, you can see that about half of the world's GDP, and we know that's a, a poor measure, but about half the world's GDP is dependent on nature. And so therefore, for every pound you invest in restoration, you can create multiple pounds worth of economic benefits in terms of all the other things that come from that in, in the sense of ecosystem services. So this this is exactly in the same way that you combat the, the big short financially, you combat the big ecological short by investment and restoration. You know, you put it back, you build up that ecological capital again, uh, and you've got a more robust system. You've got a more stable ecological system, which will continue to pay you your dividends and interest that is what you really want, because that's the crucial stuff that keeps life on earth going. What about for us then? I was reprimanded earlier for saying I've felt smug about going back to the um, zero-way supermarket. Mark's made me feel, actually, I am a great guy. I am the solution. I am Jesus. I think that's what you said, maybe paraphrasing. Um, and I think you were on his podcast recently. What, what about for, for individual listeners to celebrate World Environment Day? What what can we do? Well, I just get involved. You know, it's like all of these things. I mean, you know, there will be loads of people uh, today on the day this podcast goes out all over the world, you know, hopefully hundreds of thousands, if not millions of folk getting involved with uh, you know, following the hashtag Generation Restoration, uh, you know, which is obviously going to be a bit of a breath of fresh air, hopefully in the toxic Twitter sphere uh, of social media. Um, but you can download a whole playbook from the World Environment Day website, which is obviously worldenvironmentday.global. Um and as we often say, it's like get involved locally, do something locally. It might start in your back garden. Um, it might be your local park or your local pond, uh, or it might just be your window box if you don't actually um, have the joy of having a garden. So get involved, do something there, plant something, nurture something, you know, tend something, get your, get your hands dirty, connect with the soil uh, and have a think about those kind of things. Um, exercise your choices. Do all the things we always say, you know, cut your carbon, buy less, buy more sustainable or durable stuff, um, you, you know, exercise your your power, um, ignore those greenwashing adverts um, and, and just try and do the right thing. And then and then use your voice, you know, advocate, uh, make yourself heard, talk about this stuff, mention it to colleagues, raise these things at work uh, or in the workplace um, and talk about why this is beneficial to everyone and actually it's an investment that we collectively make uh, and collaboratively do together uh, and that's where you know the, the seeds for that transformation come and i think you know as mark said you know we've got the outline of a plan now which is sort of beginning to come together uh, and it's easy 
what we always say, you know, we always overestimate what we can achieve in a year and underestimate what we can achieve in a decade. Uh, and we've got a big squeeze on now by 2030, but we should be thinking more on those cathedral style timescales. Mm. You know, we've got to say, okay, 2030, that's nine years. Um, we can't allow, allow those decade long timescales to lull us into complacency. But if you put yourself onto a, onto a proper front footing, then 10 years, you can achieve extraordinary things. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're working for a company that's getting on uh, getting on board with that kind of stuff properly, guess what? Ten years from now, that company will be in far better position than its competitors that yeah. didn't, because the legislation will make sure of that. So you, you know, there's a really good time in your workplace to advocate for this as you know a hard, cold commercial reality. If we're not on top of these sustainable development goals, then we're not going to be able to you know compete very well. You know, five years or ten years from now. So there's you know the, the, the opportunities now are everywhere, not just in your personal life, but in your work life as well. That's such good advice. That's such good advice. I know. I, I, I hope I tell you enough how uh, important both of you are to, to listeners and to myself. But that 10-year individual plan, not just as a passive thing that I expect companies to do over 10 years because mm. they're advised to by governments, but to do that as an individual. I've never heard anyone say that before. And I have a quiet, passive view that in 10 years – I will be fat, bald, and professionally obsolete. And that, <laughs> that has slowly crept in. Sort of dawning realisation, the odd tweet here and there. You just think, well, you know, in 10 years, that's that's me fucked. I'm done. But um, and we're with you joy. every step of the way. <laughs> yeah. Oh. You, I mean, are you saying that was your plan to do that? Because I have to say, you're, you're well up on it. I mean, you've really got a start on it. <laughs> this podcast was the beginning. <laughs> Where it really started. I need to get away from these bloody easy panel show laughs and that quick buck. What I really want to do is a long-term project that makes people confront the horrific reality of our existence. <laughs> it's really it's really good advice, and I'm going to do that this week. I'm going to aspire to have a, have a serious think about how old my daughter will be, where I'll be professionally, what me and Lucy will be doing, and start now thinking about, right, where we're going to, because I've never done that. I've never done that in terms of my environmental impact. And it's such a good thing to do. And it does take that pressure off. Oh, shit. Elsie wanted a toy when we went shopping today and it was wrapped in plastic and now I feel like a piece of shit. Actually, I can look forward long term and talk about some serious changes. A bit extraordinary thing to be able to share with Elsie as well. You know, as I say, she'll be, what, 14? uh in a decade's time so you know when you could be having very serious conversations about this kind of stuff and you can say look look honey this was the long-term plan i developed and that i've been working towards all this it's time really good we did it on lockdown you know when lockdown started you know and she couldn't do anything we did a list and i said you know this won't be a thing in a year what are the things you want to do in a year and we drew little pictures of all of them we stuck them on the kitchen cupboard and she's crossed them all off now we've been able to do those things again and she's you know it's, it's helped us get through it and we should absolutely do that and did you, did, you have, did you have a set of pictures? Was it like a little testicuzzi that you drew? And <laughs> oh, it was a big one. And a pint of beer. <laughs> I mean, the joy of getting older is now I don't even have to prop the testicuzzi on the table. It's just, I don't <laughs> know if you can hear it now. I'm, I'm stood up doing this podcast. The testicuzzi is on the floor and it's doing its job. <laughs> um, but we do, you know, sometimes with Elsie, I'm certainly guilty of looking at the, the immediate situation with her. We had a lovely incident. We, we went away. Uh, last week, and we took the the mother in laws with us, and we were sat outside having some uh, food, and there was a bee on the floor that was uh, not looking very well. And luckily, Lucy this year for Christmas bought my mother one of those little pendants that you put on your key ring, and it has some nectar inside it, and you can revive a bee back to health. And it was like a, it was a really powerful moment of here's a thing mm. that I bought you in December. We were all together when the moment it was needed happened we put the nectar down the bee began to revive it had another little wobble lucy went to get some uh syrup from inside to try and help it uh lucy's mother got up to go to the toilet and squashed the fucking thing right in front of my by then crying mother and elsie who kept asking where the bee was that then became within seconds my mum saying Oh, John, oh, John, it's not dead. You need to finish it off. It became like hitting a deer. I had to go back with <laughs> with the uh, jack and uh, finish the job off by crushing the bee under a rock. And, you know, those moments perhaps will impact Elsie, 
and I should take time to say, right, 10 years, let's do something amazing together. So, How, how many insects can we kill in a decade? <laughs> absolutely. Think how many bees we could squash in the next 10 years. <laughs> yes. But it's wonderful advice, and I, I for one, will, will take it on board, and um, I, I hope other listeners will as well. Um, we end with pointless futures. That's that's an opportunity to discuss where we could be in 10 years in a slightly more negative fashion. Who are the people trying to drag us in, in the other direction environmentally at the moment? Well, um, I don't know whether it's environmental, but certainly something that seems, I don't know, I mean, it's not its not for me to say, but our listener Sophie Goldie suggested that um, the uh, there's a product called Warm. Well, this thing called Warm is actually a sex toy warmer. Apparently it's made of soft vegan leather. It looks mm. a lot like a trendy clutch bag, but you put your um, your toys and your lubricant inside it and you plug it into the wall and it uses a low, yes, low voltage wattage to heat up your pleasure gadgets. Uh, to the ideal temperature in less than 20 minutes, apparently. Um, and, yes. it's a hundred, and it's $150. Because if there's one thing I want when I'm horny, it's a 20-minute wait for my lube to warm up. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a mood killer, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I saw a tweet, though, from a screenwriter, Nick Ransom, recently, which I thought was a brilliant sort of uh, pointless future, which he said, he said, is there anything more perfect as an exemplar of the idiocy, hubris, and futility of humanity than the leaf blower? Oh, God, yeah. And I th- I have to agree with him. Fucking yeah. blowing leaves around with electricity. What? <laughs> know, the previous... <laughs> The previous owners of my of my new house left a leaf blower in the shed, and I, you know, you know, when you open the shed and go, "Oh, what they left behind?" It's like, "Oh God, the leaf blower." I mean, what what are they for? Yeah. I, don't, I don't understand. We've got wind, haven't we? Doesn't that blow leaves for us? They're for people. It, it looks neat and tidy, though, doesn't it? So does a rake. You can't rake concrete, though. Not to defend the leaf blower owner community, and uh, well, you brush it. Let's, don't you? Let's say at this point, for, for listeners on my wavelength, we're all a bit upset about how quickly we moved on from the dildo warmer. But <laughs> let's continue the conversation about the leaf blower. It's not the most draining of implements, is it, the leaf blower, if you want to gather them all up and make some mulch? Maybe you could combine the two, though. So you could have an attachment, a lot of pouch on the side of the leaf blower. So when it gets hot as a result yes. of blowing all the leaves, your lube and all your sex toys are already when you go into the house sweating oh, oh, from no, this, leaf this feels like a this feels more like a modern version of Lady Chatterley's Lover where oh, the gardener's oh. got his leaf blower he's got all the leaves into a nice corner so you can all oh. lie down and Lady Chatterley I've made you a bed and I've warmed the toys <laughs> <laughs> I think I think the pointless future has to be the leaf blower because you've got so much more angry about that both of you really ganged up on the leaf blowing community there <laughs> is, is there a leaf blowing community oh you wait mate check your fucking email the day after this goes out, <laughs> they'll be outside your house. When you wake up, you'll come out of the mill. You'll go, you'll go to the, uh, what did you call it? The back deck to feed your otter. And instead of torches <laughs> held aloft, there'll be a village community each with leaf blowers. <laughs> and you'll get blown back to fucking Brixton, mate. Don't you worry about that. We'll put them all on blow. And that's it. You're out of there. It's been a delight uh, sharing your company again. Series three is imminent. We will uh, we will be back very soon, and we will culminate uh, series three hopefully at um, COP twenty six. That is the plan, isn't it? And I think we should begin series three, hopefully, by being together. This will be our third series. We've never actually recorded one together, so let's let's be together, shall we, guys? I'll see you both for series three. Cheerio, everyone. <laughs>